good morning, everybody. How are you? It is good to see you. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, take them with me and turn to Luke chapter 21. We're going to start off at verse uh, 25 through 28. Um, as we are, what we're doing this morning is continuing a series we began last week on the end times. Uh, so uh, last week we began, we looked at prophecy in general and what the end times and prophetic scriptures mean to our lives. And uh, the one thing you should be taking away from this is for the believer, this should not be scary at all. This is just signs of things that are to come and that God is completely in control of everything that is taking place. Now, I want you to, uh, if you are here for the first time or didn't get a chance to be with us last week, um, I strongly recommend you go back and listen to that. It's going to lay the foundation and some of the basics of prophecy. Um, and and uh, I strongly also recommend that you do a couple of things. Take some notes. Uh, if you've got the North um, app, you can download the, a bunch of notes. A lot of the notes that I have uh, that I'll go by today, it's extensive notes that you can download. Also, if you didn't do that, if you want to go to the website tomorrow, they'll be posted on the website. You can download a lot of those. Um, also, I've got to do a little bit of a change of schedule. I told you I was going to talk about signs and uh, signs of the times and the order of things in the book of Revelation. I bit off more than I could chew for today, okay? So I'm going to do signs of the times today. Next week, I'm going to stay with it and, and uh, do uh, on the rapture, talk about the rapture next week. And then on first Wednesday, August the 3rd, okay, I'm going to go through the order of things in the book of Revelation, okay? So I'm going to do that and then give it um, a little bit more of time and what to do uh, that needs to be done during that. And then, of course, in two weeks, we start a missions festival, so I'm excited about that as well. Um, this morning, I got to be honest with you, I've got a lot, a lot, a lot of information to go through, okay? So look at your neighbor and say, buckle up, okay? <laughs> My prayer is like Mel Gibson in The Patriot. Lord, make me fast and accurate this morning, okay? <laughs> so Luke chapter 21, starting in verse uh, 25, Jesus says, and there will be strange signs in the sun, moon, and stars. And here on earth, the nations will be in turmoil perplexed by the roaring seas and strange tides. People will be terrified at what they see coming upon the earth, for the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then everyone will see the Son of Man coming on a cloud with power and great glory. And when all these things begin to happen, stand, look up, for your salvation is near. That ought to be your verse today. When all these things start to happen, look up, your salvation is near. Let's pray. Lord, today, thank you for your word, and I pray that you would anoint me to speak the words you've given me to say today. I pray that you would anoint our ears to hear them and our hearts to receive them so that you may accomplish your perfect will, and you may encourage the believer, and you may convict and convince the unbeliever that you are in control, and you are Lord of all, and worthy to be worshiped and adored. And God, we thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. So I'm just going to give you an idea of how quickly we're going to go through this, okay? Normally, I have about four pages of notes that I'll kind of refer to. I'm sticking close to my notes. I got eight of them this morning, so buckle up, okay? We got to get there and get there fast, okay? So I'm going to talk to you about the signs of the end times. And this morning, we're going to look at three categories of signs. There are a lot of different categories I could give you, but I'm broken them up into three categories. They are Israel, innovation, and immorality. Okay, those are the three areas we want to talk about today in that. Now, Israel is probably the most important because they are the trigger. They are the link. And, and, and literally, things that happen with Israel begin to affect everything and start things in motion in certain places. So Israel is key to all of this. 
One thing I also want you to know is Israel is God's people. They have been God's people since he selected them back in the Old Testament. And he said, I didn't pick you and choose you because you were great and you were mighty. I chose you because you were small and I chose you so that I could bless you and you could bless the nations. I want you to understand something. So when you hear Christians say, I stand with Israel, what they should be meaning is, I stand with the people of Israel and with the plan of God. What that doesn't mean is you have to agree with everything the secular government of Israel does. They're looking out. God's controlling things and all of that. So what I mean is this. You don't, there are certain things that you can agree with and disagree with when it comes to politics and all of those things. But that is God's people, God's chosen people that God has chosen to show his grace to, just like he's, shown, he's chosen to show his grace to us, and that God's plan is still relevant for the people of Israel today. Why Israel is so important, I want to give you some signs that have already been fulfilled that a hundred years ago, you would have never dreamed that these signs would have been fulfilled when they were written thousands of years ago in prophecy. And then about Israel, I'm going to give you some signs of the things that are to come. So four signs that have been fulfilled, and they've happened in the last hundred years. So the number one is this, Israel is regathered twice. Israel is regathered twice. That means they've been dispersed and they've been brought back twice. In Isaiah chapter 11, verses 10 through 12, it says, In that day, the heir to David's throne will be a banner of salvation to all the world. The nations will rally to him, and the land where he lives will be a glorious place. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to bring back the remnant of his people, those who remain in Assyria and northern Egypt, in southern Egypt, Ethiopia and Elam, in Babylonia, in Hamath, and all the distant coastlands. He will raise a flag among the nations and assemble the exiles of Israel. He will gather the scattered people of Judah from the ends of the earth. Verse 11 says, he will reach out his hand a second time to bring back the remnant of his people. The first time has already happened. The first time happened when Jesus came. The first time had already taken place. It took place almost five, 600 years before Jesus came to this earth to do his earthly ministry. It happened in when Babylon invaded Israel and took some of their people back with them in exile to serve as slaves and servants of them. It happened in three stages, 607, 597, and 586 BC. Babylon invades Israel. And finally, in 586, they destroy Jerusalem and destroy the temple, and they take all of the ones that they're going to take, and they take them back to Babylon to serve. And then Babylon is overthrown by the Medo-Persian Empire. And somewhere between 539 and 537 BC, 70 years after the first invasion, they they are allowed to go back into Israel. As a matter of fact, in 586... Uh, when the last invasion takes place, literally 70 years later in 516 is when the temple will be completed once again. The reason that's important is God prophesied that time that he was going to send Israel away. They were going to be in exile for punishment for their sin for 70 years. And whether you look at the starting point or the ending point, it is 70 years exactly that God fulfilled his promise. So he brought his people back the first time. But this prophecy is saying there will be a second time where he'll regather his people. And that took place in 1948 at the end of World War II and at the end of the the horrible event called the Holocaust. The people of God who had spread all over the world began to come back to Israel. Which brings me to the second sign that is fulfilled. 
And the second sign goes in conjunction with this, but it is a prophecy that, number two, Israel would be reborn in one day. That after thousands of years, they'd be reborn in one day. As a matter of fact, Isaiah chapter 66 tells us, who who has ever seen anything as strange as this? Who ever has heard of such a thing? Has a nation ever been born in a single day? Has a country ever come forth in a mere moment? But by the time Jerusalem's birth pains begin, her children will be reborn, will be born, excuse me. On May 14th, 1948, after thousands of years being exiled, they begin to come back. And on May 14th, the, the area of Israel was a colony of Great Britain. On May 14, 1948, Great Britain releases control of that. And David Ben-Gurion, who was the head of the Jewish people at the time, announced to the world that they were declaring that that land was now once again the nation or the state of Israel. On the same day, President Harry Truman declared and recognized Israel as a nation, and other developed nations followed suit quickly. And in one day, a people who had been spread around the world, thousands of years, almost 1,900 years, were gathered back, and they became a nation in one day. These prophecies took place over 2,500 years before the actual event happened. A hundred years ago, you would have said, there's so much to do. There's so many signs that need to be fulfilled in order for the Lord to return when he chooses to. Those are two. The third is Jerusalem will be retaken by the Jewish people. In Luke chapter 21, verses 20 through 24, I'm going to skip here for time's sake. Jesus is describing a great and and devastating day that's going to take place. And a lot of what's taking place at that moment in the immediate, I told you some prophecies are dualistic. They are, there's an immediate thing, and then there is a uh, coming thing. There is a distant thing. So Jesus talks about some of this, and what he's talking about uh, is fulfilled in AD 70 when Rome comes in and destroys Jerusalem and destroys the temple and everything. But then Jesus said in verse 24 of Luke chapter 21, it says, they will be killed by the sword or sent away as captives to all the nations of the world. And Jerusalem will be trampled down by the Gentiles until the period of the Gentiles comes to an end. Now, what he's talking about in the period of Gentiles is not the age of grace. That's not what he's talking. He's talking particularly about the overrunning of Jerusalem. So the context matters in this. What he's saying is the occupancy of the Gentiles in Jerusalem is going to take place until that end comes, and then God's going to restore them. And of course, I told you in AD 70, they're driven out for 1,900 years. They're dispersed across the world in 1948. They come back to Israel. And yet when they come back to Israel, Jerusalem still does not belong to Israel, belongs to the nation of Jordan until June of 1967. Several Arab nations, including Jordan, decide that they, uh, out of their hatred for Israel, they come together and they attack Israel, and it's called the Six-Day War. And in the Six-Day War, they attack Israel, and Israel, through overwhelming odds and the miraculous hand of God, not only defends themselves, but also conquers um, all of the nations that are surrounding them and attacking them so much that in one day, they retook, I mean, in six days, they retook Jerusalem, and it's been under Jewish control ever since, and they quadrupled in size of their land in a Six-Day War. And listen, here's... 
So many miracles took place during that time. They took on the nations of Egypt, Syria, Jordan, and Iraq that were actively invading them. They were being supported by Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, and Iran, among other nations. So many miracles took place at that point in time. There was a secular newspaper called the Haretz. That simply means the land or the land of the people. And they carried this comment by one of its military correspondents, secular newspaper. And they said, even a non-religious person must admit this war was fought with help from heaven. The world recognized that they couldn't do it on their own, and yet Israel not only defended themselves, but enlarged their borders and their territories and retook Jerusalem at that time. The fourth sign is this, is that the land of Israel is still divided along with worldwide anti-Semitism or hatred of the Jewish people. Joel chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 says, At the time of those events, says the Lord, when I restore the prosperity of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather the armies of the world into the valley of Jehoshaphat, and there I will judge them for harming my people, my special possession, for scattering my people among the nations, and, notice, for dividing my land. Ever since 1967, Israel has been under constant pressure from the world, from the UN, and might I add from the United States as well, for the purpose of peace, to give up land in order to maintain peace. And so they have done so in the West Bank, in the Gaza Strip, and in the Sinai Peninsula. Here's what I want you to know. I'm not here to talk about politics of all of this stuff. Here's what I need you to know. All of these things were prophesied thousands of years prior to them happening. And what is happening now is not because of certain political figures in office. It's because the hand of God has prophesied it and is in control and still moving in authority and power. That's what you have to see. So there are four signs. that Those are just four of many signs that have been fulfilled through Israel. hundred years ago. Never dreamed it possible. You'd say, oh, no, there's no way the Lord could come back at any time soon because none of these things have happened. They've all happened. There are still some signs that are to come with Israel, and so I want to give you three of those. These are not the only signs. So what I'm giving you is an overview. Remember, I told you, I am not a prophetic scholar. I am a student, and I'm sharing with you, so I'm not trying to give you every detail. I'm trying to give you an overview of these things. Here are the things that are to come. Number one, concerning Israel, the rebuilding of the temple. The rebuilding of the temple. Revelation chapter 11, verses 1 and 2 says, Then I was given a measuring stick, and I was told, Go and measure the temple of God and the altar, and count the number of worshipers. But do not measure the outer courtyard, for it has been turned over to the nations, and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. What it's saying is the temple of God is active and present in the last days. John sees it and the vision that God gives him that the temple of God is going to be rebuilt. As a matter of fact, if you go visit Israel, if you go on a tour um, to Israel, you will find that there are certain, um, certain pockets of folks, there are groups, there are organizations that are beginning to prepare They're preparing things like the furnishings for the temple. We don't know when the temple is going to be rebuilt, but they're making preparations for the temple to be rebuilt on the temple mount again. That's going to be with a lot of controversy. There's going to be a lot of probably, there's going to be a lot of difficulty in that, and yet the Bible tells us it's going to happen. As a matter of fact, recently, Israel's housing uh, minister 
uh, Yuri Ariel said, we've built many little, little temples, meaning synagogues, but we need to build a real temple on the Temple Mount. There is a growing movement that says it's time to rebuild the temple. That's not a political statement. I'm just telling you, it's been prophesied. And if it's been prophesied, it is going to happen. The second sign, this is the one where you're kind of going to, some of you, if you don't know anything about end times, you're going to kind of go, huh? There is a war where there is an alliance of nations with the hatred of Israel and the desire for the resources of Israel will cause them to invade Israel and make war against them. So the second sign is this, the Gog and Magog war. That's not from Lord of the Rings. Just know that, okay? Gog and Magog. Now, these are regions that are identified when the scripture was written by what they were known at that time. Okay, so let me read the passage in Ezekiel chapter 38, okay? It says, this is another message that came to me from the Lord. Son of man, turn and face Gog in the land of Magog, the prince who rules over the lands of Meshach and Tubal, and prophesy against him. Give him this message from the sovereign Lord. Gog, I'm your enemy. I will turn you around and put hooks in your jaws to lead you out with your whole army, your horses and charioteers in full armor, and a great horde armed with shields and swords. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya will join you too with all their weapons. Gomer and all its armies will also join you, along with the armies of Beth Togomar from the distant north and many others. Get ready, be prepared. Keep all the armies around you mobilized and take command of them. A long time from now, you will be called into action. In the distant future, you will swoop down on the land of Israel, which will be enjoying peace after recovering from war and after having its people return from many lands to the mountains of Israel. You and all your allies, a vast and awesome army, will roll down on them like a storm and cover the land like a cloud. But notice what God is saying. I'm leading you into this as punishment for your wickedness. As a matter of fact, at the end of chapter 38, it tells us that they will be defeated in such a way that Israel is not going to do the defeating, but there'll be signs and wonders from heavens with earthquakes and thunder and lightning and all sorts of things that are going to happen that they will be defeated by. And he says, literally, the nation of Israel will not do this, but everyone will know that the hand of God did this. So he's prophesying thousands of years prior, this is going to happen. Now, who are the nations? Remember, as they're identified, they're the nations that were in place at that time. So to the best of our knowledge, Gog and Magog is somewhere, this is speculation, but the most general consensus is it's somewhere in the Russian area. We don't know if it's like the Russian borders right now. It's somewhere, Gog and Magog were in that Northern Asian area. It's parts of Eastern Europe, according to where those lands were. It's Persia, which is Iran now, because um, Iranians are not Arabs, they're Persians. It's parts of modern-day Iraq and Afghanistan, Turkey, Libya, Ethiopia, and parts of modern-day Sudan and southern Egypt. Why that's important, everything that's known right now, there is a a hatred for the Jewish people that resides in the pockets of those areas that are being named at that. So it's not a far stretch. And what it's saying is there's going to be alliance, and the alliance is going to be led by someone from the north in that. But the alliance is going to fail. 
But it's one of the things that you, you need to know is going to happen, and that's going to happen and lead to something else. So you've got, first of all, you've got the rebuilding of the temple, and then you've got this war with Gog and Magog and all of the, those alliances, which will then lead to what is known as a covenant or an alliance with the Antichrist, okay? With the nation of Israel, they're going to come in as the peacemaker at first and establish peace all throughout this. So in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, it says, the ruler will make a treaty with the people for a period of one set of seven, that's seven years. And after half this time, or three and a half years, he'll put an end to the sacrifices and offerings. And as a climax to all his terrible deeds, he will set up a sacrilegious object that causes desecration until the fate decreed for this defiler is finally poured out on him. Something like this, like this, took place around 167 BC, okay? Um, Before Jesus came the first time. But this is not what Daniel is talking about. As a matter of fact, Jesus clears that up when Jesus tells us that the day is coming when you will see what Daniel the prophet spoke about. The sacrilegious object that causes desecration standing in the holy place. Reader, pay attention. Then those in Judea must flee to the hills. A person out on the deck of a roof must not go down into the house to pack. A person out in the field must not return even to get a coat. How terrible it will be for pregnant women and for nursing mothers in those days. And pray that your flight will not be in winter or on the Sabbath, for there will be greater anguish than at any time since the world began, and it will never be so great again. In fact, unless that time of calamity is shortened, not a single person will survive, but it will be shortened for the sake of God's chosen ones. Two things I want you to notice. Notice there is activity and there is the presence of the temple. Again, you see it. It talks about the sacrifices have been reinstituted and then they will be shut down and then a sacrifice, a sacrilegious sacrifice will be made on that altar which will cause great consternation and cause great tribulation. We'll talk about the tribulation on the first Wednesday on August the 3rd. But this is probably the beginning of the tribulation that takes place. This is probably what's taking place. This is following the war with Gog and Magog and that alliance is probably the beginning of the tribulation period. And if you wonder what the tribulation period is, we'll talk about that a little more next week when we talk about the rapture, okay? I don't mean to keep putting you off, but I got a lot of stuff to get through, okay? All right, so you've got Israel and you've got signs that have already been accomplished, something that we didn't think could happen 80, 100 years ago. Now those signs have been fulfilled where if God decided the time was, he's not waiting on anything. There are still some signs that are to come But those things can happen in very quick order. It doesn't take them long to take place. The second section that I want to talk to you about is, uh, in addition to Israel, is innovation. Things that also 40, 50 years ago, we would have read these scriptures and said, we're not there yet. Can I just tell you, we're there now. All the things that have been prophesied about innovation, those things were there at this point in time. So number one is this, travel and knowledge. Daniel writes in Daniel 12, verse 4, But you, Daniel, keep this prophecy a secret and seal up the book until the time of the end, when many will rush here and there, and knowledge will increase. There's a man named Buckminster Fuller, and he developed a knowledge doubling uh, curve. And what he found was in the year 1900, knowledge, our ability to double our knowledge, happened about once every 100 years. It took us 100 years to double our knowledge. 
After World War II, with all of the innovation that took place, knowledge began to double at a rate of every 25 years. So you went from 100 years to 25 years. IBM estimated in 2020 that the knowledge and capacity of knowledge, the computer capacity of knowledge right now doubles every 12 hours now. Innovation knowledge is increasing at such a scale that we've never dreamed possible. It's already here. We're not waiting on anything when it comes to that. The second part of innovation is this, instant global information. I'm going to take you to a very strange portion of Revelation. We'll spend more time on First Wednesday. But there are two prophets, two witnesses, and they are given an opportunity to witness and stand for the Lord in the city of Jerusalem. And here's what Revelation chapter 11 says. These two prophets are the olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of all the earth. If anyone tries to harm them, fire flashes from their mouths and consumes their enemies. This is how anyone who tries to harm them must die. They have power to shut the sky that no rain will fall for as long as they prophesy. And they have the power to turn the rivers and oceans into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they wish. When they complete their testimony, the beast that comes up out of the bottomless pit will declare war against them and he will conquer them and kill them. And their bodies will lie in the main street of Jerusalem, that city that is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, and the city where the Lord was crucified. And for three and a half days, all peoples, tribes, languages, and nations will stare at their bodies. No one will be allowed to bury them. And all the people who belong to this earth, to the world, will gloat over them and give presents to each other to celebrate the death of these two prophets who had tormented them. So just to note, I'm not going to talk about it a lot. They are killed for three and a half days. The world celebrates. Then they are raised up again and they are taken into heaven to be with the Lord is what Revelation tells us. But here's what I need you to see. Notice what it says. John, writing this, exiled on an island, in the year A.D. 90, says somehow, some way, all peoples, tribes, languages, and nations will be able to simultaneously stare at their bodies. They will see them. And they will rejoice together. This is the first time in history we've ever been able to look at something at the same time all across the world. Instant access to news, instant access to video. And it's not just news videos. It's people with cell phone cameras going viral. People can see these things all across the world at the same time. This is happening now for the first time in history. It's able to happen. So in innovation, there's travel and knowledge, and there's instant global information. 20 years ago, 30 years ago, this wouldn't even be conceived of, and now it is. The third area of innovation is this, global financial control. I want to share some scriptures, and what you're probably going to focus on is not, we'll get to it in 10 days, okay, on first Wednesday. It's about the mark of the beast. As a matter of fact, I'm just going to skip to that part so I can save some time this morning on this. Um, there is a mark of the beast that is demanded to be worshiped. We'll talk about that in, in about 10 days, okay? But here's what I want you to notice about it. Um, in verse 16 of Revelation 13, it says, 
He required everyone, great and small, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on the right hand or on the forehead. And no one could buy or sell anything without that mark, which was either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. Let's just stop for there right now. This is now possible for the first time. A cashless society is now possible for the first time. This hasn't been possible. For the first time in, in history, normally you, you either had to have some sort of currency or something to trade or to barter. You exchange something. Now you don't exchange funds for the most part. Most of what you do, most people do these days, is done via um, you, you pay your bills online. You send payments. You, you send money to each other through Venmo or Zelle or some other cash app. You, you take care of all of these things. Money changes hands so much less than it ever has. In 1971, up until that point, the United States, the currency was based on what was called the gold standard, which means there was gold reserves for everything. There was something besides our paper money that allowed them to have confidence in it. Since that time, the money, your money, that you look at it, if you carry the money right now, it says, based on the full faith and credit of the United States of America, this is worth this much money. There's not gold sitting out there. There's nothing sitting out there. It's based on that. As a matter of fact, up until March 2020, banks were still required to have what would be called a, a cash reserve. So if they had a certain amount of money that they loaned out, they would have to have a certain amount, a percentage of that amount based on the strength of that bank, a percentage of that amount that they would have to keep in reserve. So if there was a, a, a flood or, or uh, uh, not a flood, um, a, a run on the banks to get cash, they would have enough cash there. In March of 2020, ironically, where the last major crisis that took place, which was COVID, March of 2020, that was eliminated, and they're now required to have 0% in cash as a federal requirement. So I'm not, look at me. If you think I'm talking about bank policy, you're wrong. If you think I'm here to say, isn't that wrong what they did? I'm not. I'm telling you this. We are right now at a place where they have eliminated cash. Everyone would have the ability to pay everything they needed to without paper money. More than likely, there will be a major crisis that will cause this world to abandon cash and go to a cashless society that is based solely on the faith and the credit of governments and the permission of governments to enable you to trade, to pay. Could that be a major, you know, we'll talk about it next week. There's a major event that could cause it. It's called the rapture of a crisis of untold, unimaginable consequences in that. It's a possibility. But here's what I need you to know. 20 years ago, all of these things in innovation did not exist. And now they do. Knowledge increasing. Global information the ability to have a cashless society if we needed it. The third area is this, immorality. Jesus said in Matthew 24, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. In Luke 17, he compared it to both the days of Noah and the days of 
Lot. What does the Bible say about the days of Noah and the days of Lot? Second Peter chapter two, verses five through nine says, and God did not spare the ancient world except for Noah and the seven others in his family. Noah warned the, wor- warned the world of God's righteous judgment. So God protected Noah when he destroyed the world of ungodly people with a vast flood. Later, God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and turned them into heaps of ashes. And he made them an example of this would happen to godly people, ungodly people. But God also rescued Lot out of Sodom because he was a righteous man who was sick of the shameful immorality of the wicked people around him. Yes, Lot was a righteous man who was tormented in his soul by the wickedness he saw and heard day after day. So you see the Lord, this ought to be encouraging. The Lord knows how to rescue godly people from their trials, even while keeping the wicked under punishment until the day of final judgment. That ought to be an encouragement. Jesus said, those were what it was like. Simon Peter says, that's what it was like. Paul writing to his protege, Timothy said, this is what you can expect to see in the last days. Second Timothy verses three, chapter three, verses one through five. You should know this, Timothy. In the last days, there will be very difficult times for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. 19 behaviors. And they group in the four categories. Here they are. Four categories of last day behavior. Exalting self. Rejecting authority, rejecting moral standards, and vicious and unloving behavior. Now, I'm not a prophet, nor the son of one, but does this sound familiar to anyone? These behaviors are happening right now in our world, and they are rampant. So how are we supposed to live? How should believers, Christians, live? We should live directly opposite of those behaviors. We should exalt Christ over ourselves. Christ comes first. We should submit to God's authority. We should accept God's moral standards given in the Bible. And we should love others sacrificially. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, in Mark, um, in Mark chapter, um, excuse me, in um, yeah, Mark chapter ten, verses forty-two to forty-five, he's talking with his disciples, and his disciples have been questioning him, and the religious leaders have questioned him about what it means to live holy, to lead holy, and he said, "You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them." But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be the first among you must be the slave of everyone. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
You see, when you live this way, as opposed to the world's way, you stand out. You're going to face some persecution when you stand out. But you'll also be the attraction. People want what we have. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that it was in a little town called Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. And people called them that to make fun of them. Because the way they lived was so different than the ways of this world, people would say, look at those Christians. Christians literally means little Christ. And they would say it with disdain. Look at them. They think they're so good, those little Christ. And that became this term, this term that was supposed to be a term that would put them down was a badge of honor that they took and said, yes, we don't live the way this world lives. We live the way of Christ. See, when you see signs of the times, if you're a believer, there is no reason for you to have fear at all. None. There's no reason to have fear. Because God has told us these things are going to happen thousands of years ahead of time so that we could be aware. For the believer, these signs ought to give us and make us confident that the Lord is still in control. While the world thinks everything's spinning out of control, we know the Lord is in control. We ought to be excited about his second coming, that it's near. We don't just have to think about a day and a time where we're going to stand before him. There is coming a time where we'll see him face to face. And the Bible says he's going to let us know him the way he knows us. That ought to be exciting to the believers. You ought to be motivated to share the gospel, the good news to everyone you come in contact with because every person you meet is a potential person that is going the way of the world that could be saved by the power of Christ. Every person that you share Jesus with means another person that they accept Christ. Hell is empty to one more person and heaven is filled with one more person because this is the time in which God has called us. You ought to be humbled that God chose you to be alive right here, right now, in some of the most difficult times, but some of the most prosperous times, some of the most fruitful times, where when God uses your gifts and abilities, he's going to use them for his glory. You ought to be humbled that God chose to have you born right here, right now. And that ought to excite you, that ought to motivate you, that ought to challenge you, that ought to humble you, and that ought to get you into a place where you look. And Jesus said, when you see those things happening, lift up your head, your redemption's drawing nigh. No fear. No fear. But for the person who knows that Jesus is not Lord of their life, I believe right now there is a tug, a pull, a convicting, a convincing of the Holy Spirit that is drawing you home. That all of these signs, if it brings fright to your mind, you do not have to fear. Because if prophecy tells us anything, if the book of Revelation tells us anything, Satan will try to throw all hell against God. 
and God's still going to win. And all who call on the name of the Lord will be with him forever. And that can be you. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes this morning? If you know things aren't right between you and the Lord, you simply need to pray something like this, mean it in your heart. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the sacrifice that you have made for my sins. You are truly King, truly Lord of all. I believe that you died for my sins. I believe that you were buried in a tomb and I believe that you rose to new life. And I believe that today you are with the Father in heaven preparing a place for us. Forgive me of the way I've lived. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me of my unrighteousness. Give me joy where there used to be shame. Give me hope where there used to be worry. Because today I will never be the same. I yield to the leadership and the lordship you have for my life. Lead me by your word and by your spirit. Everyone in the room, would you just pray this prayer with me? Say, Jesus, I give you my life. I want you to say this also. Say, Jesus, I surrender to your lordship. Now, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if that's you, not here to embarrass you or call you out, but if you know when you came in this place, things aren't right between you and the Lord, and you've made a decision to follow him for the first time or the first time in a long time, I want to pray for you this week. And I want you to be bold and just say, that's me, Pastor. Would you raise your hand really high? Keep it up just for a moment. Thank you. Amen. Just keep it up just a moment. Thanks so much. Amen. God bless you. Yep, I see you up there. Amen. 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 You can put them down. Father, we thank you for lives that have been changed, not because of the words that I've said, but because of the power of Christ and the pull of the Holy Spirit that you are willing that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. Thank you, Lord, that you loved us. Thank you for your patience that we can still call on you. It is still not too late. I thank you for those whose lives have been changed today. And I pray when they leave this place, the weight of sin would leave them and the joy of the Lord would invade their hearts and souls. I ask you, Lord, for those in this room, I pray that you make us confident today that you are in complete control, that the signs of the times do not worry us and do not bring us anxiety, no, Lord. We know that you are in control, and we look with anticipation and longing and excitement for the day that you shall return. And Lord, when you do return, I pray that you find us faithful faithful to you, faithful to the gospel, and faithful to the people you've entrusted to us. And Lord, may your kingdom come and may your will be done. And as the apostle John said, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus. And Lord, we thank you for your promises and give you praise in his name, the name above every other name. Amen and amen. Amen. You believe that today? Amen. Hey, come on, will you celebrate when you take today? Eight people gave their hearts to Jesus Christ today. Man, eight people, you made the best decision of your lives. That decision is gonna change the rest of your life and gonna change your eternity. 
And we are so delighted for you and so happy for you. And if, if you've made that decision today or maybe in the last few weeks and you'd like someone to talk with you about that decision or maybe you just want some more information about Mount Perrin North, at the end of the service, there's some folks that will be at the front here, part of our grow team. We'd love to have a conversation with you about getting you either in this walk with Jesus or getting plugged in here at North. Um, that would be our privilege and our honor. I hope you'll make plans to be here uh, next Sunday. We'll talk about the rapture. And then on first Wednesday, August 3rd, we're going to talk about this timeline in Revelation. And of course, two weeks, we've got Missions Festival. I cannot wait for everything that's going on. And I hope you'll be a part of each and every one of those. Would you stand with me, please? Thank you so much for engaging in the word, your patience, and allowing me to go fast this morning on you. If you need to catch up on that, there's going to be notes on the website, on the app. And also, you can go back and the message will be there as well. Allow me the privilege to bless you before you go. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace in Jesus' name. Let's give our response from Psalm 19. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. God bless you folks. Love you. Have a great day.